Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome to The Suitcase and The Scribe with award-winning journalist Scott Burnside and former NHL goaltender Mike McKenna, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Hey everybody, Scott Burnside, back for another edition of The Suitcase and The Scribe. I was, you know what, Mike? I I love the name of that podcast, and that's all you. So I, I feel <laughs> we're well we're well into it now. When did we start? October? I think so. Yeah, well, I just start of the year. Yeah. You know what's funny is I'm so I have a hard time naming things, like trying to be creative and think of something that hasn't been used before. And I can't remember what, I think I went on a bike ride that day trying to figure something out because we've been tasked by Frank Saravalli to find a name for the podcast. And I'm just like, man, like there's so many just generic ones about the crease and the blue lines and stuff. And, you know, I think I was, yeah, yeah, (laughs) well, there were two of you. It made sense. But like, you know, I I think I was just out in the woods one day and it just dawned on me. I'm like, well, well, who are we? Who, who really are we at our core? And I said, well, Scott's definitely a scribe. He's a writer. And I go, well, there's nothing else to describe me other than a suitcase. So I'm, this makes sense. So yeah, that was good. Yeah. Uh, all right. We're, we got tons to talk about. It's great. I'm, I'm excited. I'm mm-hmm. maybe a little bit of the newsy stuff, but I got to tell you, and we, I, we sort of have been you know talking about it theoretically over the past few weeks, but just, you know, you know, at some point, are we, are we going to get as as a game, as a league, the NHL going to get to a point where that we sort of approach herd immunity? And I and I think mm-hmm. we're, you know, we are well well down that path. And I thought it was interesting the NHL and NHLPA announcing on Tuesday that they would change the testing uh, requirements and protocols. Uh, we've already seen them go down from the 10 day quarantine to the five day. And now um, they're not going to test unless you're symptomatic, unless you're sick, mm-hmm. is showing symptoms of some kind and you're part of an NHL team, then, then you won't be tested. And I, and sort of coupled with that, I think the expectation is that even as early as today, the NHL will reveal if not all, at least some of the um, new schedule that will incorporate the many postponed games um, that will be slotted in. Many of them will be slotted into what would have been the Olympic break. Um, and and I, I don't know, I'm not glass half full guy anyway, but I, to me, this is, I, I, I feel like this could be a corner turned mm. to getting back to a rhythm, to getting back to 
you know, we're just a, a normal routine where teams have most of their players, if not all of them. And we see a, a high level of hockey as we head toward the trade deadline in, in uh, late March. Agree? Disagree? No, I, I think you're spot on, Scott. And I, I was kind of at the point recently where I was thinking, man, I don't know how we're going to get this whole season in by the end of April. Yeah. Uh, and this is a turning point because you, you needed to have some changes in the protocol to be able to keep players on the ice and the frustration of so many players that had tested asymptomatic. And, you know, my, my own experience with this is kind of seeing the, um, you know, the college team that I coach at St. Lawrence, you know, and talking to the goalies that I'm helping there, it's like, how many asymptomatic versus symptomatic cases you had? And it's been largely asymptomatic and it's so frustrating for these players. And it's the same way in the NHL. They just want to play. And this is the point where you almost think, is this kind of a microcosm of what society could have in general? If, I mean, realistically, if everybody was vaccinated and, and this is what you're seeing, like this is a group of people that completely is that a small percentage are seeing some symptoms. And when we're trying to get games played, when you're trying to keep players on the ice, Carter Hart said it the other day, he just, this is a joke. What are we doing? Like, we're just going to keep, you know, filling in rosters and struggling to get players on the ice. And, this is that step in the direction of, Hey, like we're ready to deal with this, we're ready to confront this as it is. Yeah. And we're ready to play some hockey. Yeah. And, and I think that, like you said, I mean, I, I'm not sure. I mean, maybe herd immunity isn't immunity may not be the right word to use this, but what you mean by that is that, Hey, like two thirds of the league has had COVID and they don't have to test for 90 days. Yeah. And now you've got only symptomatic players. And if that's a half or a third of who's testing positive as is like, we're getting down to a pretty minuscule number of players that won't be in the lineup, Scott. And that is, in my eyes, that's a good thing for the NHL. And I think it's, I think it's a good thing for the general public to see what could be attained if we wanted it to. <laughs> yeah. No, t- totally agree. And I think it's important, you know, again, and I am totally understand the NHL tr- trying to wait as long as possible to uh, have Canadian teams, you know, and you hope that, Again, sort of the ripple effect, and there's always mm-hmm. some elasticity to it. It takes a little yeah. time, but hopefully in Canadian markets where they will allow some, if not all, fans at some point to go back into um, into their buildings. I mean, the economics right. of this are are very real. So oh, it starts, you know, it's yeah. not an overnight thing, but I I don't know. I just I feel I feel optimistic about it. So I do too. You know, I, I mean you look at the building in Ottawa last night and it's just the empty stands, and you're just thinking, this looks like it looks like a preseason game at a neutral site with nobody that it just isn't right at this point. You know, you're watching all the teams in America do whatever they want, (laughs) you know, for the most part. And, and here's Canada. And of course there are cross border restrictions still, there will still be testing required of that. And I I think Scott, there was always the worry of some competitive disadvantage for the Canadian teams, but I mean, if they would lose players to testing, you know, with the border, but like at this point, you can't cater to seven clubs when you got to play some hockey, yep. you know, and, and that's maybe that's not fair. But again, like I've said this before, what's fair cotton candy. It's what you get at the fair. You got to power <laughs> through things. So, you know, there was, I, I think house cleaning wise, man, it's, I think it's a good thing for the NHL and especially with the couple of lead up weeks leading up to all-star before these kick in. Yep. We're really going to get to that point where we got clear runway for some great hockey down the stretch, man, like we should see the end of the season finish and playoffs with, I mean, I think largely pretty full rosters, fingers crossed. Right. But we got to get to all-star first, Scott. 
we've looking, got to get there first. I'm looking, I'm looking forward to all-star a, because oh, <laughs> you know what? we're going to be there. together. I have no idea what the access will be like. I have no idea. You know, we're going to do some shows. We're going to do yeah. some, we're going to do a bunch of stuff. I, I can't wait. Well, I want to ask you, you know, talking about that access, you know, like I I'm, this is topic du jour and something that is right up your wheelhouse. And, and the incident yesterday, between uh, Hall of Fame reporter Jim Matheson in the Edmonton area and Leon Dreisaitl. Yes. And you had a great piece that's it's going to be up at Daily Faceoff talking about the dynamic between reporter and player. And, you know, you had you, there's a little bit in there that'll tease that you talk about Tyler Sagan and how you guys had something of a adversarial exchange and it all got smoothed out right away. Yeah. And it never became public light because it wasn't through Zoom. Right. And, and, and I tell you what, player side of me, I hated that interaction because I thought Jim was incredibly condescending and name calling to a player. Yeah. But I also think that, you know, I thought Leon handled it well, but Leon also poked him a little bit by saying, you know, everything, which yeah. it, it was a little give and take that Scott, like, do you, do you have a different feeling? I think on these things and how they would actually take place in person, face to face, rather than via zoom and people sitting at tables. Is that right? Well, and it, yeah, it, it just, and it's not that, you know, this is not earth shattering news, but when, when you don't get an opportunity to, you know, to have a conversation in a workplace and the, the dressing room, a locker room, uh, even if you do your interviews in a media room adjacent to the room, that's the workplace. And it's in some places, it's a workplace for coaches and GMs and players, and certainly the workplace for reporters. If you don't have an opportunity to have a conversation, like it's a, you know, like if you and I were in the same room, we were having this conversation, we'd be saying the same things. But if something is difficult to address and listen, the Oilers stink, they they remain for me one of the stories of this season. How is yep. this happening Two of the best players in the world off to a I think 16 and five start? This team is now out of the playoff picture right now. Yeah. By, by a decent amount, by the by way. By a decent amount. They are like, just hanging. I mean, <laughs> morning was like, oh, my God. How did yeah. they get you that? Can't, they you can't played. lose six straight twice in a season and think you're going to come roaring back and, like, win the cup. Like, maybe they do. I don't know. But don't know. Yeah. they're in one, man. They're in one. And they haven't played a lot of games. So, I, I get all that. But I guess my point is, and it, it's, you know, the thing between Jim Matheson, who I've known forever, and he is, he's a Hall of Fame guy. He covered the Oilers, you know, Gretzky, Messier. Mm-hmm. He has seen it all in Edmonton. But, you know, now we're, it's like a stage, right? Every, yeah. every kind of interplay. Quite literally, they are on stage. Uh, they're on stage. <laughs> and the voice, you know, Jim Matheson's voice comes out from the ether. You know, like the Wizard of Oz. Wizard of Oz, pulling the curtain back. <laughs> We're on the like, same page. And you know what? I've seen already, I may buy one, but I know there are now T-shirts with the Euler logo that says pissy under it. Oh. Because that was, you know, Jim asked Leon Dreisaitl, why are you so pissy? Well, I think both of them were, right? I mean, it's, it's the world we live in. Yeah. And I'm not here to debate the line of questioning. I'm not here to debate the answers, although I would take the you know, sort of more of the opposite view, right? Like, I, I just think, Leon, come on. You're a leader on this team. You don't like the questions. You know, you've got to get over that. But anyway, I, again, that's not the point. The point is, yeah. at some point, I hope we go back to a relationship where someone can walk in that room, whether it's Jim Matheson or you or me or whoever else is doing the job that day, 
And you have to ask a tough question that you can ask it in a way that if Leon or Connor McDavid, they don't like the question, but you could have a discussion about that. Well, mm-hmm. sorry, I, I, like, should I, how do I, you know, let me ask it a different way. Uh, you mentioned Tyler Sagan and it's, you know, it's, a, it's, it's not a great story, but it was at the end of the 17, 18 season stars had fallen completely out of the playoff picture. They were, I, in I was there. <laughs> you were there, my friend. <laughs> yep. And I remember being in Minnesota and I used to think about this all the time. It's during that stretch. What am I going to, how am I going to ask the question of Ken Hitchcock or Jamie Penn or Tyler Sagan? Because basically it's the same thing that Jim Matheson was going through and everyone on that call. How do you, how do you approach the, at the heart of it, your team sucks. Mm-hmm. And, you, and so, and it, and it sucked yesterday. It's going to suck tomorrow, maybe. So how do you come up with a question that is relevant and resonates and elicits some sort of answer that provides some sort of content for whatever you're doing? And I remember a time with Tyler Sagan, my, my God, I wish Pierre Lebrun was on because it, it was one of those monster one minute questions. And at the end, he just, <laughs> just looked at me. He's like, I don't know what you want me to say. I said, I think you answered your own question in the question. And I was like, and then that was it. But he, and he came to me on the chart. He said, I'm really sorry. And I said, no, I said, honestly, I, I just, I have to be better. Yeah. And I think you can get to that point. If you're in a locker room, if you have, a, if you are able to try and build or repair a relationship, if you're a reporter or if you're a player or a coach or GM, I just hope we get back to that because it's been lost over the last few years. It really has been. And I think there, there are some teams who feel, well, this is good. We don't want reporters mixing with players or coaches or GMs. And to me, that is the biggest, the most backward thinking way to approach. How do we tell the stories of our game? How do we talk to the best players and the, how do we do that? Well, we don't do it sitting a million miles apart. And I hope we, I, I hope teams who believe that, are shouted down in the end there. I that's agree. my, that's my speech of the day. I agree with you. And I know I have a little different perspective because you worked with me as a player and understood that I would just sit and talk to anybody because to me, the media is just human beings doing their job and trying to ultimately the media wants to tell good stories. They want to tell, you know, who you are, where you've been. And if, if, if you're able as a player to sit in there and take tough questions and give an honest answer, you know, that's, you get respect that way. You know, yeah. and uh, the times where I thought I had bad interactions with media is when I just felt like they were lobbing stones at me when I hadn't done anything or even talked to somebody. Yeah. You know, I mean, I can remember being the cheap shot of a couple people in 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 Ottawa, even. You know, and I, I'm not going to mention names on this, but it was yeah. like, man, what? Why? Like, it, yeah. one time was one time was in like 2012, the first time I even played there, and it's like a cheap shot about me, like, hey, he's going to be tweeting from the bench, <laughs> like. Yeah, guess what, buddy? Like, I knew where this was going in hockey, that Twitter was going to be a big thing. And yeah. <laughs> you're making fun of me. Guess what you're using as your medium now? Like, I look at things in retrospect. Yeah. And, and you know, some of those people I've had good interactions with, and it's fine. But it just, it's kind of like, why, man? Why are you doing that? Like, I, I don't get it. And, but the other folks that would sit in, like yourself, and um, it, I could think of plenty of people. I mean, uh, you know, Jeremy Rutherford in St. Louis, just media, people all across media that, you value each other because yeah. you, you understand the bigger aspect that we're, yeah. we are trying to sell this game. We're trying to grow the game. We're trying to tell good stories because there's no shortage. I mean, like we probably should have even led with this right now, but think about last night's game in, in Boston, Willie O'Ree. 
you know, talk about a level of respect and a person revered across the game. But how can we look at this and, and, you know, we're celebrating him. It's fantastic. But how can we also say like, oh, now it's 2022 and we're going to retire his jersey. Yeah. When Jackie Robinson was retired league wide in baseball, how long ago? You know, like it just it's kind of our culture a little bit in hockey, isn't it? But what what a celebration for Willie, yeah. though. I mean, like, yeah, totally. as it needed to be. Yeah, and I agree. And I, you know what I mean? Why? Yeah, you're right. There is something about hockey that, you know, we <laughs> doesn't quite the wheels turn very oh, slowly. We move at a glacial pace. Just yeah. And glacial. you know what? I mean, and I, again, I it's not something that I Chris Pronger had his jersey retired last night at the same night as Willie O'Ree, who broke the color barrier in the 50s. But here's the big difference. Chris Pronger crushed a beer at his ceremony. And, you know, Willie's of a more advanced age. He wasn't able to actually physically be at the ceremony, which is, you know, I mean, it is what it is. It's like it would have been epic if he had crushed a beer, too. I'm not complaining. But I I think, you know, I mean, here's again, wouldn't it be nice And what would be wrong if the NHL did exactly that? They said, you know, starting next year, no one's going to wear 22 because that's the, that's how important this moment was. And, you know, it's again, at this point, it's it's past it because then it looks like you're just, you're, you're tone deaf and catering, right? If they would have gone and done that, like baseball did years ago, it would have made a real statement. You You know what? I'd take it now. I, yeah. I would totally take now. So here's what I have. I, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure Wayne Simmons would like to see that happen. That's for sure. Yeah. I tell you, talk to Wayne and the admiration he has for Willie O'Ree, and I mean, just paving the way and and the close friendship that they've built. Yeah. Like, I mean, I wasn't teammates with with Simmer for very long, but you know, we had a couple dinners and meals together, and just I think the world of that when he when he talked, I listened, Scott. Yeah. I just think his perspective is so valuable in the game. He's, you know what the thing about Willie and I, I, I wrote a piece when he went into the Hall of Fame. Was it three, two years ago, three years ago? And I had the opportunity. They were, I was with Bryant McBride, um, and the crew that was um, producing the documentary Willie. And I got an opportunity to go with them to Columbia, South Carolina, where he went through old records that dated back to his ancestors, slaves on plantations in South Carolina, and. And then you sort of juxtapose, you know, that his history with the work that he did, not only just being the first black player in the NHL, but the the thousands and thousands of kids and Mm -hmm. of of all all races, all types over the years. And the impact he's made on those young people is, man, yes. Why didn't it take so long to retire that number? Why aren't all the teams doing it? But it, it, it was a special night. And I, I thought yes. the Bruins did a, a wonderful job, especially given, you know, the dynamic with Willie not being able to be here. Mm-hmm. It was a terrific night. <laughs> Bruins. It wasn't a great night for the Bruins game, but <laughs> I thought it was great. Yeah, it was. Yeah. I mean, it, it Whitley just amazes me. I mean, he's basically blind in one eye, like how good of a hockey player he was to, get to level he was at. Um, and yeah, you talk to anybody that's, you know, person of color within our game, like they all have that reference for him. It's that important what he did. And um, it's, it's just, it's cool. But yeah. on the flip side, you're right about the Bruins because they sucked last night. So <laughs> that first period, oh, oh, they were just out to lunch and it, boy, it did look like the Canes were hungry. And, and 
I know a lot of people talk about statement games and swing games and trap games, and we like to label all these things. But you know what? It is real that when you're playing a team that you're looking to establish a bit of dominance on, that's what it looked like last night with the Canes. Because that first period was really good. Boston was not ready. Yep. Um, and it just it was a laugher by the second period. Like it it caught me off guard, Scott. I mean, did you did anybody um, anybody from the Cane side stick out to you uh, more than the Bruins? Because to yeah. me, it was kind of a team effort. I, I have a hard time picking real stars for Carolina last night. Yeah, well, it's interesting because Jacob Slavin came back after being uh, out with the, in the COVID protocols. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, I, I really like Scores that. right away. You know, yeah, I, know that, <laughs> I say this all the time. I produce content for them. I was actually in uh, Raleigh last week, spent to uh, had a great chat with Rod Brindamore. He's just, he's, I can't wait to write the story because he's so, he just, he's an amazing guy. And his journey is really quite amazing, you know, you know, given what, you know, that he was a long, long time assistant mm-hmm. coach before getting the opportunity. Yeah. Now he's a defending Jack Adams winner, top team. He's in largely done it within like that organization, by the way. I, just, I'm, I know I'm cutting in on you, but like yeah. I played against him when he was a hurricane yeah. and then he stays with it. Assistant coach. Now he's head co- Like he's really made his own path in this game. He hasn't had to travel far and wide because that's how valued he is. What? I mean, that's rare, Scott. Yeah. He said, he said this, that, how many coaches coach where they live and he mm-hmm. lives and he's, you know, it's, it's a cool thing, but Jacob Slavin's a really good player there. And I was in Raleigh when they got pounded by Columbus. Was it six, nothing? It was, it was a big score. It was, uh, <laughs> it was not great. And it was, you know, it was interesting just to watch them follow up. Cause they were really good against Vancouver and a win on Saturday afternoon and now followed it up. Yeah. You know, you mentioned Boston beat them in the East final in, mm-hmm. uh, 18. Yeah, right? That still sticks in your head. You got a lot of core players on Carolina. 19. Must be 19. Sorry. Yeah. A lot of core players in Carolina. Remember 19. that. Yes. Well, and then lost things. to them the following year again in uh, after the play and they beat the Rangers in the play in round then lost to Boston. We really didn't look good. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think, and I actually, I look forward to, you know, I think we talked about this. I think the teams in, in the East are, are locked up. No one's it's just who finishes where and, and I had raised this while I was in Raleigh. I said, you know, to me, what's, what's the good, you know, the wild card matchup. And there's, you know, a lot of ways it could go. Of course, you know, whether it's Tampa, Toronto or Florida at the top in the Atlantic, but I, I, you know, if I'm, if I'm Carolina, I, some people said, Oh, I hope they don't play the Bruins. I, to me, it's the opposite. I, to me, you got to get over that, right? It's like yeah. Washington had to get over Pittsburgh before they won their cup in 18. You got to beat that team. And I think Boston might be one of those teams for Carolina. So yeah, um, I'm, I'm big on I'm big on that. Where it doesn't really matter who you play, just go beat them. You got to beat everybody to get to the finals. The whole yeah. easier path thing to me, whatever. <laughs> so I want so I I did love the Chris Pronger, <laughs> the Jersey retirement that included the beer chugging, which. I don't know. I just found that was terrific. But, and it was interesting because the blues started that game in some ways, a little bit like how the Bruins started against Mm -hmm. Carolina and, you know, like, I don't know, whatever the emotional drain is. Um, But, but came back to, to win that game. And I thought that was, we've talked about the blues, but uh, uh, that was, I thought that was an impressive win for them. And I'm, I'm, I'm a big Chris Pronger fan. Do you, did you, have you had, did you cross paths? I mean, you guys are in St. Louis. 
Do yeah. you have pronger stuff? Not a lot. You know, we've been in, in a presence of each other many yeah. times. We've had a couple, you know, we've said hi in words occasionally. One of his goaltenders dabbled as being a goaltender for a bit. So there was some crossover there, but yeah. uh, you know, largely it was, it's just kind of alumni things that I've been around, but the firsthand experience was me as a kid being a blues fan and just watching him come from Hartford where everybody hated him in St. Louis when he showed up. Yeah. And he's documented this, how hard it was when he first got to St. Louis, yeah. he's traded for, uh, Brendan Shanahan to the Hartford Whalers and Shanahan was as big a player in St. Louis as you get like yeah. Hall and Hall Shanahan, like he, beloved player, like Brendan Shanahan broke his ankle and skated off the ice. And that's forever ingrained <laughs> in the memory of St. Louis blues hockey fans. Yeah. And you know, Pronger comes in and, and the word word on him was, Oh yeah. Why are we getting this guy? And he's, I mean, he was like 20 years old at the time. And ironically, like the joke around town was always, oh, been all he's been doing is 12 ounce curls. Like when he first showed up and, and he slams a beer at his hall of fame induction. So maybe that's a nod to it, but his progression from being a young player in the NHL as a defenseman at 19, 20 years old and a high, high draft, but what second overall to what he turned into, like he was the nastiest player in the game for a while. Yeah. And I mean, he hurt people like he'd fight once a year and he'd hurt somebody and be like, well, we're not doing that again. And just his <laughs> stick work. And, but God, he can move the puck, Scott. Like yeah. he was as complete of a defenseman. Like he was the archetype for Victor Hedman. Yeah. Like, I, totally to me, that's, I, I think you could look direct lineage, Chris Pronger, Victor Hedman. And, and I don't think Hedman quite has that same nastiness that Pronger had, but it's a different era, you know? And he just, you think of the track record. I mean, he gets out of St. Louis. He takes them into a cup final. Yep. Then he goes to Anaheim and they win the cup. Then he goes to Philly and look what they, they you know, go to a final and go to a final. And it's like the track record's there and he wasn't easy to play with. But as a kid growing up in St. Louis, watching him at six, six, looking like a, you know, Tyrannosaurus Rex out there and just <laughs> slinging passes and hundred mile an hour shot. Like he left a big impression on people in the city sky. And I'm just, I'm glad that, yeah. You know, when it all circled back that he is as respected here um, as he should be because the Blues never won anything. They still haven't. I mean, until 2018, they never did. And they had a string of amazingly good teams led by Pronger. Yeah. And I tell you, when, when, when Al McKinnis says he's the best defenseman you've ever played with. Yeah. And Al McKinnis is one of the best defensemen to ever play this game. Yeah. That's quite a statement, isn't it, Scott? Yeah, no, he's, I keep waiting because you know, one thing about Chris is that and I've had, you know, I've been fortunate. I've spent some time with him since he retired when he was in Florida in the management mm -hmm. group. I spent some time with he and Dale Talon. I watched a game with him at Madison square garden and the Panthers were terrible. I can't even begin to say half of what he said oh, yeah. during that game. But I did laugh. And if you remind me, I'll tell you in Vegas over a beer, but Good. it's just funny. Good. And there's somewhere is a picture. I went to do a press conference when I was CDSPN and we were always doing these little videos with the flip cam. And we, I, he, I interviewed Chris setting up the winter classic. It was going to be at, uh, I believe in Philly at Citizen Bank Park, but I could I could be wrong. Anyway, there's a picture of him standing next to me. He's got his jersey on, stick, and he's because he's enormous. He just has he's his hand on individual. my. He's yeah. got his hand on my head, like I'm like. <laughs> so it's like Manu video. Ball with his head on Bugs, he, Bugsy he, like or uh, move in. The whole video web. is him with his hand on my head. Might have been his arm too, like I'm an armrest. <laughs> 
<laughs> anyway, he's the best. So last Chris Bronger thing, my, my, there are a bunch of these things, but during the 2010 final against Chicago at whatever game it was, I think he was, they lost, let's call it six, four or something like that. Six, three. Yeah. He's on the ice. He's on the ice for five. So he's minus five and he's in the box for the other goal. And somebody asked him, might've been Tim Panaccio, one of the veteran writers in Philly. Somebody asked him like, how are you feeling or what, what, you know, how do you, you know, what, what happens? How do you put that behind you for next game? His line was, I got to tell you, I'm day to day with hurt feelings. And I just, I thought it was just so beautiful. It's a great line. That's a series. He continued to steal all the game pucks from the Blackhawks whenever they won. Oh gosh. He yeah. tried to steal the puck because first cup win since 61 or 62. It was great. Remember, remember when he scored on a penalty shot? <laughs> He scored on a penalty shot. He yeah. just came in and shot it, posted it. Like no D ever gets one. And here comes Chris Pronger, who you like the goalie absolutely knows he's not going to make a move. And he just comes and shoots and scores off the pipe. And, and I remember his reaction was, you know, hands in the air, just smiling. Cause it was like, sorry, everybody too good for this. Yeah. Uh, you, t- you touched on that game about St. Louis who came out flat as well. And, and this is something that's kind of a, it's kind of brewing there, but Vili Huso stole that game in the first period for the yeah, Blues. He, did. he has been phenomenal this year. Missed yeah. a bit of time with injury. I just wonder if he doesn't start to get a few more start. start if he doesn't get more starts yeah. in the future um, with, with, to me, I think Bennington, it's been tough for Bennington because the Blues have still been loose defensively a lot this year. Mm-hmm. And Bennington's had some great periods here and there, but lately he hasn't put together many 60 minutes. Yeah. And it's almost like he's kind of just, he's just finding his way. Like he's lost a bit of confidence and he's kind of, his movements don't look as crisp. Like I wonder if he's questioning things. Well, Huso doesn't have any pressure. You know, it looks like Bennington's feeling pressure and Huso's not. And this is me projecting, but yeah, but I, I just wonder if during this next month or so or a couple weeks, if Huso doesn't get more starts, let Bennington regroup because I, I would, I completely trust Bennington. Honestly, you get to playoffs, give me Bennington all day long, but it feels like, Hey, he needs a bit more. And league wide Scott, we're seeing this. Like there are so many good goalies in the league right now. I can't even predict like who's yeah. going to take the ball and run with it sometimes. Well, I mean, it's, it is a fascinating dynamic because you're right. I mean, actually Craig Berube was asked about it recently, you know, what, because I, in the, you know, the number of games, Within over the last month, where he's allowed four more goals, is mm-hmm. high, and it's yeah. And you're right, really. Who so? He was a guy that Bennington leapfrogged in their cup year, right? I oh mean, yeah. He, you know the Huso was, you know, I think that he and Huso's rookie season yeah. was questionable last year. There were big question marks. Yeah. There, and yeah. he has responded. It's a, you know again good problem to have if you're Craig Berube, and I and again in that Central Division, it's. You know, Blues are a playoff team. Colorado's a playoff team. Mm-hmm. I think Nashville's a playoff team, although, you know, again, they got beat by Vancouver last night. So, you know, we'll see on that. But, like, to me, the Blue and, and Minnesota's a playoff team, I think. So, you know, this – I think it's interesting that Huso may get a little bit more leash and not because you don't trust Bennington, but I, I assume if you're Doug Armstrong, GM, and Craig Berube, the head coach, that at some point you must be thinking – we, we we have to make sure we have a plan B come playoff mm-hmm. time. Or, I don't know. Do you, do you, do you think people believe, like, is that how people would think? I would think that way. Well, I maybe not as much of a plan B is just, I think you just got to 
make sure that Bennington's not being ridden too hard going into playoffs. And, and I worry about this with Nashville with Soros. Honestly, I, I, I love to play Scott. I wanted to play every single game and every goal. He's going to tell you the same thing. Yeah. Um, but you know, like that's a tough position for David Riddich right now in, yeah. in Nashville. Like he played last night against Vancouver. And he was really good early on. Um, you know, one or two that were kind of squeakers that to me look like somebody who just hadn't played in a while. Yeah. Right. And that's, it's so hard to come and perform like that. And because I thought Riddish was really good last night for a lot of the game. Yeah. And, but Demko was fantastic. Yeah. And, and that's, I, I just wonder about that with Nashville. It's like, man, because one, you want to have Riddick capable to play, capable of playing. Like yeah. if you lose SARS to injury, COVID, whatever, like you do need your other goalie to play. So I, I always question that with teams. And I think, you know, for St. Louis, it's a position of strength right now. Minnesota seeing something simpler where Kakadin has played really yeah, well recently. Really well. He's won game. I mean, Cam Talbot hasn't won the game since December 9th. So, <laughs> you know, they've got both goalies in the mix there as well. So goalie stuff, Scott, go all day. You know how that works with me. There's plenty to talk about with it. I know we're going to talk about Ken Hughes in a second, but I just want to, I want to ask this because, it, it, I'm, you know, as we get March 21st trade deadline, it's still a long ways away. So, but, but a team like Edmonton, for instance, that still can't find, he can't find a lot of answers. I just listened mm-hmm. to Leon Dre's Everything's wrong, but certainly the goaltending, you know, remains cataclysmic there. Yeah. And, but I always, I think people would just like trade, get Marc-Andre Fleury or get Linus Olmark or it's not that simple. Right. It, well, and so I want to ask you, why do you think it, why do you think that a, there are really, it, it happens very rarely that a number one goalie gets dealt mid season. Let's call it the trade deadline. And we're, mm-hmm. and we're in pre deadline mode now. Why, why is that adjustment so difficult? And I will, I swear I'm going to end this question, but I always think back to our good friend, Ryan Miller, Ryan Miller. guest on suitcase and the scribe early in the season. And uh, one of the greatest American, one of the greatest American goalies mm-hmm. of all time, the year he came from Buffalo to St. Louis. And I remember writing a story for ESPN. I was like this Ryan Miller, you know, is, maybe I didn't say is, but could be the Stanley, the final piece, that Stanley cup puzzle in St. Louis. Like that was how good he was. And it just looked like it was going to be great. And it wasn't really great. Mm-hmm. I think they were lost to Chicago in the first round, but it takes a lot. It just takes time. Doesn't it? It takes time to integrate. You know, yeah. my experience with this was getting traded midway through a season to, uh, to try to be the playoff goalie for the Syracuse crunch in the American hockey league, the Tampa Bay affiliate and Julian yes. Brisebois picked me up for that reason. And I mean, he came in and he said, you know what? We've got goalies, but we think we can win with you. And I was like, yeah. wow, vote of confidence here. And it still took me a while. And I remember getting off the bus after a game in Binghamton and Julian comes up to me and he's like, I know this isn't easy, but sometimes you got to fake it till you make it. And yeah. if you're not feeling it, just fake it. <laughs> and, <laughs> and But he was right, man. Like I just... I put a lot of pressure on myself and it was hard to acclimate, but I think the hardest thing is just getting to know what's going on in front of you and yeah. learning tendencies and what to expect. It's why the season's so chaotic at the start of the year is that teams aren't well-oiled, like their systems are out of whack and, and you get a goalie who, especially Ryan Miller or anybody that's been in an organization for a long time. Like if you're the starting goalie, that system has been, either catered to you or at least you've been in it long enough to know exactly what to expect. Right. And 
subtle differences, players, like if you haven't played with them all season, you're learning on the fly. And if you don't get into rhythm in those first two weeks, it is really difficult. And that's why you see homegrown goalies who win Stanley Cups. Nobody's traded for a goalie to win Stanley Cup in forever. Like, I can't remember the last time somebody made a midseason trade for a goalie and it paid off to win a cup. It's just, you know, killing penalties, systems, everything, man. It's really hard to adjust. See, I would think back, and I I think back to Dwayne Rollison, who Mm. went from the Islanders to Edmonton. That was the last big bump. But, but, and the interesting thing that I only remember this because I, I was at the Winter Classic in Washington, I want to say, um, when that trade happened. And so you're, you're like, oh, you, you know, it's, so it's January. So, you, I mean, you give yourself a, a, you know, a longer runway t- to do it, but you're right. It, it doesn't, it, it looks on paper, oh, get Marc-Andre Fleury and that'll work in Edmonton. And okay, that's fine. Why does he want to go there, by the way? Sorry. I know that he does. I'm not I wouldn't. <laughs> Sorry. I'm not speaking for Mark. Maybe but... I'm a coward. I don't know, man. But if I'm him, I don't want to go there with the family there. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, I, I just think it will be interesting to see because it, I just don't know what happens mm-hmm. with that team you know, how they fix that part of their game. And maybe Mike Smith gets healthy and stays healthy. But anyway, best hope. Skinner's I, I, in COVID protocol, yeah. you know, it's um, okay. Hang on. Guess what? I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you about something that is near and dear to both our hearts. And I know yours mm. and a reminder that DoorDash is in fact, the proud sponsor of the nation network of podcasts, restaurants, and more delivered right to your door. What do you think of that? My friend? Well, I think they saved my bacon last night. I had hockey practice to coach with my eight U team at five 30 and uh, this household needed a nice pizza delivered to the front door. So thanks DoorDash came in handy as always boardwalk pizza down the road, about as close as you'll get to East coast style in St. Louis. So as always, Scott, DoorDash what, comes to the rescue. What's, what's the go-to on, on the uh, McKenna pizza? What's the, what are the oh, toppings? We need four different quadrants for this family. Uh, uh, if they I had my way, when you call that, oh my gosh, it's a McKenna's. <laughs> Thankfully, it's like online ordering makes things really easy. You can do exactly. half and half and choose. But I mean, if I had my way, it's pepperoni, green pepper, mushroom. Like that's just my go-to. I think that, and think our Canadian friends that may even be all dressed at Pizza Pizza or somewhere like that. Okay. Um, but I mean, my wife's simple, Pete, pepperoni, whatever. Uh, maybe yeah. green peppers. But my kids have what has been known as the uh, as their special, which pepperoni. Mushrooms and black olives is what they like. Oh, I like that. Sometimes they mix in pineapple and I, they're crazy, man. It's, <laughs> listen, okay. I, I don't believe in shaming people for what they put on pizza. No, I'm fine with pineapple if you like it, but I just, those flavor prof- profiles to me just don't jive. So, um, but yeah, that's their special. And we always have to go half and half on it. Otherwise people are, and then there's always compromise in this household, Scott. There's always compromise. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good thing. It, compromise is good. I got to tell you, I don't mind a little uh, Kalamata, black olive, and anchovy, mm-hmm. buffalo mozzarella. A lot of, lot of umami in that, Scott. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you better have gum on hand for afterwards, though. <laughs> uh, all right. Big, so big, big uh, news in Montreal, of course. Um, and we've been waiting to see what would, you know, how this is going to shake down after Jeff Gordon was installed as the head of hockey ops there. Kent Hughes, 
mm-hmm. longtime agent. Uh, you know, in fact, he and I traded tax, not to overstate our relationship, but traded tax. And you know, I remember he was representing Vincent LeCavalier, and uh, he's still got a, a you know, lot, he's still got high pro- profile players. Uh, Chris Latang, Berge, yeah, and, Bergeron is one of his. Yeah. So, oh, of course. And actually, if they if they par all Francais, there's a decent chance that Ken Hughes has had them as a player. Yeah, Darnell Nurse. Uh, it's in, I mm-hmm. don't know. Maybe I don't know if he speaks French or not. But anyway, he's a longtime agent, longtime connection to hockey. He's from the Montreal area, completely bilingual. Um, but he's interesting, right? He's he's he comes into a high profile position with a team at the very, even though they came off with a, a big win last night, but at the very bottom of the standings, um, his life is going to change pretty dramatically, I think. Mm-hmm. And, and this is um, kind of worth thinking about with agents that, you know, agents all kind of aspire to the front office, whether they want to admit it or not. I'm sure there's mm-hmm. some out there who would say otherwise that don't want to do that, but it's kind of the unwritten rule. Like you, you make your money in the agency business and then you get a front office job because you want to win. Like you've made your money and now you want to win. You want right. to be on that player side. You want to be on the team. You want to be rooting for something. Right. Um, and this, let's be clear. This is not the sexy pick for the Montreal Canadiens. Yes. This isn't Danny Briere. This isn't Roberto Luongo. This isn't even Matthew Darsh. This is not an ex player. This is a smart calculated decision of somebody that Jeff Gordon thinks that he can work with. Yeah and have a partnership with and make the right decisions for. And, you know, you're seeing this more often across the league, Bill Zito, former, yeah. uh, former agent, who's now the GM of the Florida Panthers. Yarmo Kekalainen was an agent. He is now yeah. the, you know, he's Columbus Blue Jackets. Ray Shiro was an agent first, yes, like Brian Burt. I mean, you go down the list of people who had been agents first. And I do think this is an interesting dynamic in Montreal now to not have a former player in that role. Gordon, yeah. Gordon wasn't, Hughes wasn't. I'm curious how that plays out. That is something to me that's going to be interesting. And, you know, whoever they may hire as well for, you know, hockey ops or development, mm-hmm. it's going to matter. You need a hockey guy in there in some capacity. Yeah. But, you know, I, I think it's, I, I've had good experiences with former agents as GMs. I think they understand the negotiation side of things. I think sometimes they're more even keeled than an ex player. You know, they don't have the emotional factor as much. They've been able to delineate those things. And Mm. that's kind of what I'm curious about from, from your side, Scott, dealing with general managers who have been a player versus a general manager who's strictly been an agent or outside of hockey. Like, do you see a difference in the, in the interactions or maybe their temperament and how they handle things? Yeah. I, I, I don't know if, you know, from that media side of, you know, the connections I would have from that, but I, I'm with you. And it was interesting. I talked to Billy Zito for a piece I'm going to write today after Kent Hughes does his first press briefing later this afternoon on, on Wednesday. And just, you know, the idea that if you're an agent who approaches it this way and maybe, you know, thinks about an executive job at some point, you really, you can use your insight, you know, via your clients into mm-hmm. a whole host of organizations. Like, and we yes. just think of the players yeah. that we, that we mentioned, you know, what, what does Kent Hughes know about how the Boston Bruins do business? Well, a he, lot, a lot. What does he know about how the Edmonton Oilers do business? Well, a, a lot. lot, just got a huge deal for uh, <laughs> Darnell Nurse. but all those things and, and how, and not just how they negotiate, but, Maybe you've got a player in the minors or coming up through the system, a draft pick. How do they develop? How do they 
teach their players? How do they support them when things are going wrong? Those are things you can have gleaned if you are of that mind. And, and Billy Zeno knows Ken Hughes enough to say that I believe Ken Hughes is one of those people that you come, even though you aren't a, a player and you aren't a, you know, you haven't come up maybe through the normal pipeline that you still bring a vast amount of knowledge to that table that should benefit you in, in what is yeah. a monumental job there. That team is, that's a bad team. It's a bad yeah, team. Yeah. And there's a lot of work. And yeah. I, I just think it's interesting. And they don't have a lot of assets to really move out. I mean, Ben Sherratt's going to get him something at the deadline. But aside yeah. from that, like they're going to have to move core pieces if they want to get anything in return. Because if they go to a complete rebuild, I don't know if that's even acceptable in that market. Like they're going to have to try to keep playing while they're while they have some pieces, you know, like you got Suzuki tied up long-term and big deal. Like there's a lot going on there for Hughes. And and I'm, and I, but I think that point is so prescient about how you get insight into these different organizations as an agent. And I think that frankly, myself, I've been paid by 15 NHL organizations. Like I can tell you about organizations from the inside, what they're like and half the league, you know, and there's, there's value in that when you get people that want to do these jobs yeah. uh, and not every play, like imagine, imagine you're a player who will spend your entire career in one city yeah, and you don't know anything else. Like I, I haven't had a chance to pick his brain on this, but I really would love to sit down one-on-one with, with Marty Brodeur and just ask like, what the, was a culture shock like when you got out of Jersey and went to St. Louis? Like yeah. it, I can't process what that difference would be like. You know, yeah. it's so different. And I did it so many times. It was just second nature. And I and tell you what, though, Scott, I knew a good and a bad organization the moment I walked right in the door for training camp. It was really obvious. <laughs> so I want to ask you, because I've, I've talked to, you know, <clears throat> former players all the time. <coughs> Sorry. They, a, a door may open or a call may come. And if you don't want to answer, you can, you can, you can choose not to. But have you thought about, whether you'd like to work for a team, have you had opportunities? Does that appeal to you? And especially when I think you're right, we, I think we see at least the progressive teams who are willing to say, I, I, it doesn't have to check five you know, specific boxes for us to interview or to consider a person, a man or a woman. Is that, what about Mike McKenna? Yeah, it interests me a hundred percent. I just, it'd have to be the right scenario, like anything in life. And I mean, have I had conversations with people that seem to be kind of gauging interest in what I may like to do? Absolutely. But has anybody ever said, Hey, yeah, what do you think? Would you like to do this? No, that hasn't <laughs> happened. But I yeah. think a lot of it for Scott for, you know, really in my shoes is that I'm still kind of the goalie guy, you know, and yeah. that expectation was, Oh, I thought you'd be a great goalie coach. Like I've heard that so many times. I'm like, you know what? I would, I am. I can tell you right now, I have full, co- if there's anything in life that I'm confident about. Okay. I'm, I, I have, I have incompetency issues in everything in life, man. I never think I'm good enough, but if there's anything I'm confident in, it's goaltending. Yeah. And like being a goalie coach, I knew I had to go to the American league and make no money as a development guy. And like, I wasn't ready to do that for a hope of an NHL job to make not great money and get fired someday. (laughs) Exactly. But I'm also at the stage where I'm like, why am I even doing this myself? Somebody like, if I walked in and gave a great presentation and showed him what I knew about this position, I think I could get an NHL job. Like yeah. maybe that's my hubris, you know, but like, I, I just, I don't see the value for me and being a goalie coach 
where I want to be in life and what I aspire to want to do because it pigeonholes everything. And it's, I don't know what I'd love to, I'd love to do management because I think it's, again, I have such perspective of working with so many teams and and knowing them inside and out and knowing what makes players think that a GM is shitty or what makes the GM somebody they want to play for or coach that they want to play for, you know, and that's the value of going up and down between organizations and being a tweener, a guy like Matthew Darsh that's seen all these sides of it because the players that get left out are the players that were like me, that were bubble guys that they don't give a shit about really. Yeah. A lot of teams, not every team, some teams, those players really get a read because when you're a superstar, you, you are catered to, they are glad handing you, they're asking you for what you want and everything's bunnies and rainbows until it isn't, you know? Um, So I was a really long answer, Scott. I apologize. No, I, I like. I, I just. I think it's interesting. I'm, in, I'm very intrigued by it. I'll put it that way. But it's yeah. again, like until somebody comes to me, or unless I actually start pursuing these things myself, I really well, like doing this media gig because I get to talk to talk about. Here's the deal, though. You know, you, you get you get a job somewhere. You got to have a clause in there that you got to still do the podcast. So that's absolutely, just, yeah. that's all. And and I'm happy to act as a. Uh, <laughs> Um, as a resource or a, um, that would be progressive, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's it. Exactly. So, uh, all right. We're getting near the end here. What else? Uh, I know you were, you sent me a note this morning. You said, let's talk about that shootout, the Philly oh. Islander game. I went, I was watching the Canes and I was watching some of the predators game. I went back and watched the three minute game highlight on NHL.com. I'll give, give them a good plug. It's all, all those are all five minutes anyway. Yeah. And they show like, I, maybe just the Wallstrom game winner, I, maybe another one. I can't even remember. But I was like, why on earth? But then I had to go back and look. There was nine rounds. So I'm okay with that now, but there you go. I think coaches are monumentally uneducated in shootouts and who they send. <laughs> I'm going to send my best player. I'm going to send a guy who's having a great game. I, I hear these things all the time. And it's like, do you not pay attention to what players do after the game. You may have a fourth line guy who's got two tricks in the bag that are just unstoppable. Why would you not send them? I mean, I I think of, you know, UC Jokinen was the shootout specialist when it first came in for Dallas. Like nobody could stop him. He had two moves that were, that are interchangeable in how he approached and he kept beating goalies left and right. And he got Dallas a lot of points. That's it. And I, I think coaches should, you should be practicing shootouts and you should be looking at who your horses are because these are points. I don't care if this is a skills comp, they're points. Yeah. And just seeing guys come in and just shoot the puck, like you come on, like make a move, you know, <laughs> like I would always as a goalie have people teammates come up to me and say, what should I do on this goalie? And I go, do your best move. Forget the goalie. But he catches with the other hand. I go, doesn't matter. Do your best move, man. Like you should have two moves and there should be interchangeable. And if you see that you don't feel comfortable with it, adjust on the fly and go. 18. It was nine rounds last night before somebody scored. Nine <laughs> rounds in the shootout before someone scored. And man, it's, I've been, I've, I had one of these in the ECHL that went the same distance. It was, against me, it was me against Steve Silverthorne of the Idaho Steelheads. And I'm with the Las Vegas Wranglers when I was my first year pro. And it was like, this may never end, Scott. I thought we were going to go back. I thought Merrick Malik was going to come on the ice and go between his legs. Remember that one in Tampa when he was playing for... On Rangers, Olaf Kolzig. Yeah. Was he with the Rangers? I think on Olaf Kolzig. I, I think say, it was. I, it's funny. I'm just, uh, while we're doing this, I'm just looking at the shootout record. You know, like there's New Jersey at one and four, to your point, one and four in the shootout. And 
you know, again, I don't, you know, does it, will it cost them a playoff spot? Probably not. But, you know, if you win three of those games, there's six more points. Six. Or it's not six more points. It's it's three more points. But it's, to your point, if you're, you know, if, if you're, if you're, if you practice it, you're good at Colorado's three and oh, okay. There you go. No surprise there. So, yeah. I'm you got to look I'm at your players. players. Got to yeah. look at your players. Yeah. Yeah. All so right. it's, that's one thing I think that's, I just thought it was awesome to see. I mean, yeah. those both goaltenders were, were fantastic in the shootout and um, for Lamov and Hart were, were really good. That was fun to watch. And uh, the only thing else that stick on my mind is just all-star. No, I know we've yeah. touched on it briefly, but all the talk about, Oh, we need the best players there and players that have been left off the list. And it's all right because it shouldn't be a participation game like no. McKinnon said. But what's funny to me is it's like, man, you're on Colorado and you got all these sick players around you. It's like, what if you were the only guy on your team? Like, yeah. what if you didn't have any supporting cast? You know, maybe you'd look at this a little bit differently. Was it, was it absolutely ridiculous that Kadri and Stamkos weren't in this game? Yes. Yeah. Bar none. But I have a really hard time saying that we just can leave teams out of the mix because you still, you, you still, every team has a best player. And I think every team deserves to have their best player honored and sent to the game to represent that city. It's a league. Like it's not individuals, it's the league. And Scott, I think that's where I'd be okay with them tweaking this to expand the rosters a little bit and make sure not just that every team has enough players, but or every team has a player from each team. Right. That really the top players are there. So people don't get left off. And when you cap it at three per team or whatever it is, I just, you know, make it a three on three tournament and expand the rosters or just do what you need to do to make sure that this bullshit doesn't happen, man. Cause like, like how can Kadri and Stamkos not be on that list? Right. right. Like it's insane to me and I don't have the best answers for it, but I have a hard time hearing, you know, McKinnon spout off when he's on the best team (laughs) in the league skill wise, you know, and then you think of like what a slap in the face to, uh, Suzuki's a Canadian's pick, right? Like yeah. basically just saying, you suck, dude. Why are you here? Like, okay. <laughs> That's what, I mean, filter this stuff, right? Yeah. It's, I don't like that. I don't like I, it, Scott. I, yeah. I, I've, uh, and here's the thing. I, I, I will, uh, Pierre Lebrun and I used to talk about that. You know, that get people upset. He would say, don't ever ask me about all-star snubs because, I don't care. Yeah. And a and lot they, of people don't, nobody even yeah. watches the game, but they get so pissed off about the guys yeah, that don't make the thing. <laughs> but, but here's, I'm, I have a, I have, I understand that the all-star game has value. It has value to the city hosting it. Mm-hmm. It has value, obviously the ESPN who's going to broadcast sure. it. It has value to the players. Like I remember talking to players and I can't, maybe it was Eric Stahl in, uh, in my, at St. Louis. Mm-hmm. Um, which was the last all-star game they had. And it might've been the last time that you and I sat at the same table. Yeah. There's, there's symbolism to it. Yeah. But he had his kids there. And I remember talking to him about, and you know, he'd been to two or three before, but it, it was, it was meaningful for him to be there with his kids, take them on the ice. It was like, that's, let's not forget that it is meaningful to players on, on many, many levels. So, Mm Uh, yeah, it's a hard it's a hard thing to get your head around because there's a lot of moving parts here. And I'm with They're you. Right. Have, to me, have as many people there as you can have, and have as much fun as you can have, and don't ask me about snubs. How about that? Yeah. That's so and, I, and I'm, my, I'm pumped for it. I am too. And my one caveat to this is the league's 32 teams now. 
There's more teams than there's ever. It's not like there's 20 teams, you know, and you used to be able to cherry pick enough players off of each team. Like you got to represent a lot of teams here and it makes it really tough. And that's where, I don't know, think outside the box, whether it's a three on three tournament, whether we expand and have four teams, whatever you have to do. Yeah. Just make sure it happens the right way. So we don't have to hear about this and it all makes sense. That's all because I I don't like hearing people complain about the all-star game. Like you said, (laughs) in two weeks, my friend, we will be recording this. I don't know where I've already Mm -hmm. talked to Liam about how early on, on the Wednesday, (laughs) maybe a little bit later in the day that we'll be taping uh, from Vegas. I I can't wait to do it. We have one in between, see what happens next week, but always, always a pleasure to catch up with you, my friend. And uh, we'll do it again next week. I can't wait. We got lots to look forward to, Scott. Truth. Thanks for listening to The Suitcase and The Scribe, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to never miss an episode. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 